Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Romans. Before we begin, let's start off with a video clip, and we'll be right back. It's okay for her to seek the comfort of other men. Because, you know, she's, she's got to run wild. You can't keep something like that back. Hold on, man. Hold on. i got to tell him. Uh, no, no, I don't care what the doctor said. we got to tell him now. Ricky, the doctor told us that we should let you work it out in your own sweet time, but, Ricky, you can walk. What'd you just say? He's telling you the truth, man. It's all in your head. You sick sons of bitches. I mean, you walk in that door on your two legs all fat and cocky and looking at me in my chair, and you tell me it's all in my head? I hope that both of you have sons Handsome, beautiful, articulate sons who are talented and star athletes and, and they have their legs taken away. I mean, I pray you know that pain and that hurt. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Don't you put that on us. You are not paralyzed. I am so paralyzed. No, no, no. Rough on him now. No, he needs to know. Okay. He's always crying. Yeah, tough love it is, tough love. Wake up, idiot. You want to know what I am? You want to see what my life is? Don't, don't, don't do it. Do you want to see what's going on here? Don't you stick that knife in your leg. Just like a deer. We gotta wiggle it just a little bit. That's it. You feel that? Feel that? Yeah. Yeah. You are back. I love you. Well, welcome back. My name is Jonathan Chen, and I'm so glad that you can join us again as we continue this series on romance. Today, we'll be embarking on the latter part of chapter nine and all of chapter ten. How is it that a person can be so convinced of something, even though that something is wrong? See, I showed you a video clip of Ricky Bobby, and Ricky Bobby was convinced that he was paralyzed and can no longer walk, regardless of what his two best friends told him. It was until he stabbed his own leg, i.e. until he proved it to himself the hard way, that he was wrong and that his friends were right. Folks, as we continue our series with Romans, we are now journeying through some of the chapters where Paul talks about his fellow Jews, the original people. God chose for a purpose through his covenant he made with Abraham. Therefore, there will be more chapters, but right now, chapters 9 to 11 is the first set. So now, we have to remember, though, that Paul's audience, if you recall, are the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, since the letter was written to them for the purpose of resolving their conflict, i.e. the role of the law and what it means to be God's chosen people. They were locked in a heavy debate, like, do you need to be a Jew and follow Jewish customs to be God's chosen people? And if not, 
does that mean that Jewish customs, traditions, and their ethnicity is no longer important? I.e., there's no such thing as a Jew anymore? Or did God change his mind? Because maybe he made a mistake and made a correction uh, to save the Gentiles instead. Last chapter, Paul explained that God didn't make a mistake. In fact, throughout Jewish history, God has been fulfilling his promise by choosing within Israel until Jesus was the final Jew to bring about salvation. He continued to choose while still using the rebellious Israelites to further his purpose in another way, i.e. as an example to the world what it means if you don't follow God. And now, in this chapter, Paul continues the Jewish dialogue. He's telling the Jewish Christians not to fall into the same trap as the rebellious Jews. See, the Jewish Christians thought that it's not just having faith in Jesus is enough. No, it's also obeying the law and the custom customs as a requirement to be God's chosen people. And since chapter 1, Paul says no. That wasn't the purpose of the law in the first place. The purpose of the law was to direct Israel to trust God wholeheartedly and not in themselves. To receive God's grace through faith in Him. Now, some of the Jews did understand that. And hence, because of their faith, God chose them to continue His redemptive plan. But why would the other Jews reject God's grace? Why, like Ricky Bobby, were they so convinced that they had to do it their way to be God's chosen people? Why did some, if not majority, of the Jews in the Gospels reject Jesus and not have faith in Him and trust Him, i.e. receive God's grace? They were misdirected and was convinced they were right, and God's method was absurd. And our point this morning is more of a question of reflection for us. Are we misdirected as well, just like the Jews back in the day? Have you and I truly received God's grace? Or are we resisting it through our misdirected convictions? We are defining our own grace, our own way, just like the Jews who rebelled God. And how do we know? Let's begin with chapter 9, starting with verse 30. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting Him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when He said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Chapter 10. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. So why did the Israelites reject Jesus and the news that he brought, i.e. God's grace? Why didn't the Israelites believe him and have faith in him? Why did they continue to have misdirected zeal 
refusing to accept God's way, clinging to their own way of getting right with God by thinking that fulfilling the law, i.e. doing the motions of it, will make them righteous and completely ignore the fact that the law's purpose was really to move them to trust and have faith in God. Because really, you can't fulfill the entire law, nor can you pick and choose which part of the covenant you want to obey. Paul answers that right in the beginning, it's because of the Gentiles. The reason why the Jews reject Jesus is because of the Gentiles. Salvation, which the Jews have been working so hard to obey the law, this salvation was now available to the Gentiles who didn't work as hard or barely working for it. The Gentiles, because of their faith in Jesus, now received what the Jews have been working so hard for. Here's an example. Let's say that you had a friend who drank a lot, gambled a lot, and did stuff that you tried very hard not to do because you knew that it was wrong. Your friend also doesn't attend any Sunday worship services or any small groups. And even if he said yes to it, he skips it for football games. He cheats, he lies, he steals more often than you do and takes advantage of loopholes, stuff that you try very hard not to do. Now, it just so happens that both of you are now at your deathbed, nearing the last few days of both of your lives. And coincidentally, you're in the same room. In fact, your beds are side by side. Your pastor comes visit you. You are delighted. Your pastor sees your friend though. And your friend, he doesn't even want to talk to him. He says, Christianity, what a bunch of bullshit. But then your pastor was so persistent, he shared the gospel with him. And out of nowhere, for some odd reason, maybe even a miracle, your friend believes. He believes and wants to be baptized right then and there. Your pastor baptizes him, no hesitation. And your friend, he's saved. How would you feel? Grateful? Ecstatic that your friend is now a Christian and joining you in paradise? Or are you pissed? Knowing that you tried so hard throughout your whole entire life not to screw up, yet your friend feels fine to just screw up his whole life until now. And now, he'll end up in the same place as you, just because he prayed and believed at the last minute. See, the latter is how the Jews and the Jewish Christians felt. How can this be possible, they ask. Gentiles, those who persecuted us, made fun of us, never tried to obey the law, screwed around, partied, ate bacon, and not only that, throughout the entire Old Testament till now, whether it be Philistines, Babylonians, Persians, Hittites, Greeks, and now the Romans, these Gentiles, the ones who tortured us, enslaved us, beat us up, stole our children, tried to eradicate us, brainwash us to lose our customs, these Gentiles can now be saved just by faith in Jesus? What? No way! Our enemies can never be saved unless they become one of us, i.e. obey the law, be circumcised, and follow our badges. If you're not with us, you're against us. So what's the first reason why the Jews rejected Jesus, i.e. why did they reject God's saving grace? They didn't want their enemies to be saved. They knew that their customs, laws, and traditions 
separated them from the Gentiles and were convinced that if they fulfilled them or tried their best to fulfill them, they will be God's chosen people and their enemies will not be. Unfortunately, they've forgotten that God loves everyone and wants both Jews and Gentiles to be in his presence, to trust him, have faith in him, and love him. They couldn't believe that God's redemption was, avail- was available for everyone, including the Roman centurions and Caesar himself. How about this today? Do we see God's grace available for everyone, including that lousy coworker who keeps backstabbing you and spreading rumors about you, including that boss who overlooked you on a promotion, including your in-laws or parents who just keeps on ridiculing you of your faith? How about those who are vandalizing property? How about those who are murdering children, sex offenders, thieves, etc.? Do we believe that God's grace is available for them? If not, we are resisting God's grace as well. Let's carry on. Verse 5. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven and don't say who will go down to the place of the dead. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This probably happened to you. For me, it happens way too often than I'd like to admit. Whenever I misplace my car keys or TV remote or my wallet or my phone, whatever, I frantically look for it everywhere and all around my house. And after all the scrounging, turning things upside down and inside out and completely exhausted and frustrated, after all that running around looking for the misplaced item, Once I sit down and realign my mind, I realize that what I was looking for was right under my nose. I was trying so hard to look for it, not realizing to look for it in the obvious places. And often, my wife is the one who finds it and points out to me that I completely overlooked the obvious places. It's a very humbling experience. Why didn't I look for it there, I ask myself. How come it never occurred to me? It's because I was already convinced that whatever I misplaced cannot possibly be there, whether consciously or subconsciously, in fact. It just can't be there. It's too obvious. That's what Paul is saying about the Jews here. Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 30, and here's what it says, starting with verse 6. The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him and with all your heart and soul, and so you may live. The Lord your God will delight in you if you obey his voice and keep the commands, decrees written in this book of instruction, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. This command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand, and it is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven, 
so distant that you must ask, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? The quote from Romans. It is not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Trust in God, have faith in him, and he will change our hearts so that we can fulfill the law. It's not a grading system, this whole salvation thing. It's not a to-do checklist. It's about allowing God to change our hearts so that we can fulfill the covenant and be his children. But just like me looking for my lost keys while my keys are right under my nose because I was convinced it can't be that obvious, the Jews completely lost sight of God's redemption and salvation because they were convinced it can't be that way. God's way. That God's way, i.e. faith in Jesus, is all they needed to be saved and be God's chosen people. Rather, they were convinced that it's a grading system, a checklist of to-dos, continually looking for salvation by finding their own ways and methods in getting there. Paul warns the Jewish Christians in that church to not fall into that trap. It's not about Jesus and plus a grading system to be saved and be God's chosen. It's all about faith. That's it. So what's the second reason why the Jews rejected God's grace? Pride. Who doesn't want to one-up another person? Who doesn't want to be more righteous than the other and gain God's special favor? Yet because they were so convinced of this, so convinced of grading each other, of making sure all their boxes in their checklists are ticked off, they completely missed the point. So much so, they completely missed out on salvation. They missed out God's salvation that was right under their nose. Do we see our salvation as a faith and statement? Do we see, think that believing is not enough, that we need to do more than just believing? That there's a point system or a checklist? That it's not only by faith, but there is a checklist that needs to be fulfilled to be God's chosen? If we do, that's resisting grace. Let's move on to verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. But I ask, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? Yes, they have. The message has gone throughout the earth and the words to all the world. But I ask, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. And later Isaiah spoke boldly for God, saying, I was found by people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said all day long, I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. COVID has revealed a lot about humanity's fallenness. We're nearing the end, thankfully. In light of all the information about COVID, the scientific evidence, the proof of COVID's existence, the proof that protocols and safety measures and guidelines like social distancing 
work, and protect our neighbors and communities from harm, we see and hear about people, including Christians, denying or rejecting the protocols and the existence of COVID. Why? Why would they do that? Selfishness. COVID brought humanity's selfishness into the spotlight, into the forefront. People just don't want to change or make any sacrifices for the safety of others. It wasn't about whether they understood the information. It wasn't about they didn't understand the protocols and the safety measures and that they were really effective. It's not because they didn't understand. No, they knew and they understood. It was their selfishness that made them reject the information. See, the Jews, they got firsthand information. They saw the burning, the burning mountain and the lightning and the smoke and the fire. They saw God himself in that presence, in that form. They had firsthand experience of the covenant at Mount Sinai. They had the prophets to explain continually to them God's covenant and promises to them. They had everything. In other words, they had no excuse. Yet why did they reject it? Did they not understand? Oh, yes, they did. Did they not hear? Oh, yes, they heard. Why did they reject God, even though God says his arms have always been open to receive them all day long? They didn't want God to change their lives. God was not a necessity for the Jews, but a mere accessory to their lives. Do we see God's, do we see God's grace that way? A mere accessory as opposed to a necessity in our lives? Do we believe that God's grace is not just to save us, but to transform us, to change our lives completely, to turn 180 degrees around and head towards God instead of ourselves, to pursue God's heart as opposed to pursuing our heart's desires? That grace is a lot more about God intervening in our lives than just merely a passive fire insurance? No. We ourselves see God's grace as transforming, to transform our lives to become more like Jesus. However, if we treat God's grace as a ticket to heaven or just merely fire insurance that we keep in the safety deposit box and just obey a few commands of the law and do the motions just to pay our penance to upkeep the safety deposit box, then we truly are resisting God's grace. See, if we continue to treat God and His Holy Spirit in us and say, I'll call you when I need you, that's resisting God's grace. That's another reason why the Jews resisted God's grace. They didn't want God to invade in their lives. So the question to us, how about, how about us? So let's summarize. We explore three reasons why the Jews resisted God's grace. First, they resisted grace because they didn't believe that God's salvation was for everyone, including their enemies. They didn't want their enemies to be saved. Second, they resisted grace because of their pride, thinking that it's not just faith, but faith and something. And lastly, they resisted grace because of they didn't want God to cramp their style. Rather, they treated God's grace as an accessory, not as necessity. How about us today? Are we tempted to think the same way and treat God's grace the same way? 
The Jewish Christians who Paul was addressing were heading that direction as well. And Paul is saying, don't fall into this trap. God's grace is readily available by your faith in Jesus alone and is available for everyone who calls on Jesus' name. If we think that it's not available for our enemies, if we think that faith in Jesus is not enough and impose rules and stipulations on others or within our church community, if we would rather treat God's grace as a ticket to heaven or just fire insurance or a mere accessory to our lives, folks, we too resist God's grace. Amen.